Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. My name is Rach J. I'm your host. I'm a coach and the founder of Core 30. I'm really excited to welcome our guest to the show today. Now she's an actor. She was on the Saddle Club Neighbours, and she's also a fitness trainer. So you used to work at Bodie and Ride when you were in Melbourne, but now yes. at Inspire Cycle, now that you're in Brizzy. Welcome to the show, Arielle Kaplan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we can connect like this. And let's just say Ari, we all call you Ari, not Ariel, right? Ari is great. Ari is much easier for everyone. (laughs) So this is really cool because I feel like we have quite a few um, connections in common. So obviously working in or being actors, working in the entertainment industry, but also in the fitness industry and With a few of my guests, I've been reflecting on when the last time we saw each other in person, just because of what's going on in the world at the moment. (laughs) When was the last time I saw anyone? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it was F45 for us. Oh my God. Yeah, that is a lifetime ago. Yeah, when you were back, when you were here in Melbourne still. Um, And you were, and you are like a religious F45 fan, aren't you? I used to be. I mean, yeah, my sort of fitness journey in terms of instructing started at F45. You know, I was a client and while I was working on Neighbours, I got my cert in fitness. And then when I finished up filming, I wasn't really sure like if I wanted to keep pursuing acting or pursue fitness. And they offered me a job there and I was like, hell yeah. So that's kind of where I started. And I don't really do F45 anymore, but I still love it. Like I love you know, what it brought into my life and how it introduced me to fitness. Yeah. But yeah, that's crazy. That is a long time ago. So long ago. Uh, yeah, that was quite a while. I can't even remember when that was, but it was so cool. like it would be like nearly five, six years ago. Really? Not that yeah. long? Holy shit. I reckon because I finished filming Neighbours around um, five, six years ago. And that's when I was really heavily into F45. So it would be like around then. Really long time ago. And we have a few mutual friends, but it was funny. I feel like it's funny that we connected in the fitness world rather than the acting world. But even though we have, I think we have a few, um, mutual friends in the acting world, but you have grown up in the entertainment industry pretty much, right? Like your family is hugely into performing kind of, yeah. Tell me about that. I was kind of born into it, I guess. Both my oldest sisters are also in the entertainment industry. And even growing up, like my dad was a musician and my grandparents were ballerinas and actors. So, you know, I always say there was never a chance of us becoming accountants, put it that way. (laughs) Like, we're definitely not that side of the brain. Um, But yeah, I grew up singing and dancing and watching my sisters at classes. And then when I was seven, I saw... Uh, I was reading the newspaper with my mum. I hang out with my mum a lot. <laughs> and she nice. saw that they were auditioning for Oliver, the musical. Uh, and it was an open call. And I was like, I want to go. And mum was like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's an open call. We don't need to do this. And at that stage, no one in my family had really worked yet. And I didn't have an agent or anything like that. And I was like, no, I want to go. So we stood in line at Rod Laver Arena for like seven hours um, and after a million rounds, I somehow got the job and that's kind of where it all started. But from there, yeah, both my sisters have worked in film, television, theatre. So yeah, I've never really known anything else, but 
I'm very lucky because I was always in love with it. So it wasn't like something I was ever made to do. It was like I was begging my parents to let me do it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. How old were you when you when you booked that job? I was seven. Wow. So you have been like <laughs> literally doing this your whole life. This is insane. Amazing. No, and now I meet seven-year-olds now and I'm like, how did I do that? Like as a baby, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> now I look back and I was like, wow, I must have been really on the ball when I was seven. I must have peaked then. You must have um, just known yeah. what you were meant to do at that young age. That's that's incredible. Totally. <laughs> so how has it been growing up just in terms of you, you know, as your own person growing up, um, you know, going through the stages of being a child and then moving through your teen years, going through puberty, all that kind of stuff, essentially on camera, you know, it's, it's um, a, a very interesting world, the entertainment industry, when you're growing up in it. It is, absolutely. I think I was very lucky that I started in theatre because I think theatre is a lot more, not forgiving, but it's a much easier industry when you're a child. Like you're just having fun. Do you know what I mean? You're not really judged on appearance. It's very much talent-based. And if you can sing and dance, you've got a job kind of thing. And then I sort of, as I was 12, 13, that's when I booked Saddle Club, which to this day was the best experience of my life. I got to live in the country with like two of the other girls who, and still my best friends. It was incredible. And I'm really lucky that it was because those are a really pivotal age, you know, when we were filming, that was the peak of puberty. And luckily I was surrounded by really beautiful people. And then as I got older, I think it started to change, especially coming towards finishing school. And when you're at school and you're working, it's a hobby and it's fun and it's almost weird that you're doing that. But once you finish school and everyone starts going to uni and getting as the world calls it real jobs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all know the, What's the quote. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's when it started to get a bit more like, oh, shit, I need a job. I need to be working. And as you know, the entertainment industry doesn't work like that. You know, you can work for five years and then not get an audition for six months. Like yeah. you just never know. So I think the pressure started to feel a lot more real as I got older, which is sort of when I decided I wanted to find another outlet because I didn't want to be one of those actors who were like, well, if I'm not acting, I'm not happy. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Because if you want to live in Australia, it's it's pretty tough to be like that. You know what I mean? You either start working at a cafe and, you know, pursue your, your acting or you find something else that you're really passionate about. And I'm so lucky that I did. And now I'm more grateful than ever in this current world that I found something else. But yeah, it was definitely challenging at times, but I always say that I've had a really beautiful experience in the industry and I've, I've never experienced, you know, that horrible side of it where I've been judged and, you know, put down. I've always had really beautiful people around me lifting me up and companies I've worked for have been amazing. So I can't really ever say it's been a, a really tough time. I've had a great experience. Yeah, I think all of us as actors feel just so grateful when we've got work, to be honest. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's like we have a job. So that's, you know, that's a plus. <laughs> that's more than I ever hoped for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you ever feel, you know, kind of pressure to look a certain way when you kind of got into that, um, you know, 17, 18 year old kind of stage? Yeah. And to be honest, I think a lot of people look at what I went through, which I'll kind of go into as a fault of the industry and the world I'm in and growing up in that world. But I always like to remind people that 
I never had pressure on me to look a certain way. I never got cast in a job and got told, oh, can you lose a bit of weight? I've heard a lot of people who have been told that. And, you know, my family, like my sisters have had experiences like that, but I honestly never did. So I don't like to blame the industry or anyone that I worked for. Um, But yeah, as I was working on Neighbours in my first year, I got really sick. I suffered from anorexia Mm. and it was something that, looking back, I think was always sort of in me. I'd not always, but from quite a young age, I'd been aware of my body and being careful about what I ate. And it just sort of, it got from a point where it was something I didn't really care about too much to something that became my whole life. And yeah, at the start, I think it starts as, you know, you want to lose a bit of weight and you want to look good on camera because, you know, everyone tells you that you look heavier on camera Uh, And it's a really slippery slope. And if you are a type A personality like I am and you're a perfectionist, Mm. it can very quickly go from being, you know, a little diet to a full-blown eating disorder that took over my life for the first year that I was on the show. Mm. And unfortunately, my character on the show very coincidentally had an eating disorder, a a different eating disorder, but it was all a lot to deal with. Oh, shit. Um, Yeah, but as I said, like it was never something that neighbours sort of made me feel pressured to lose weight or anything. They, If anything, when I got sick, they were incredible. They would give me every Friday off to go see a psychologist and they basically said to me, like, we can't have you on the screen looking like this because it's such a bad representation to young girls. So it was a huge incentive as to what got me better. So I don't really think it was the industry. I think a lot of it's to do with genetics and, you know, your brain chemicals. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, growing up in this world, inevitably you are more aware of what you look like. So I'm sure it did have some sort of impact on it. Yeah, 100%. So what was the, you know, was there a specific moment? I mean, obviously you were going through it during Neighbours, but was there a moment where, you know, something sort of happened where you were like, okay, I need to lose some weight? That was the first moment. I think, so when I finished school, my best friend and I, Marnie, um, who I was on Saddle Club with, we travelled to Europe and we did like the typical going around Europe, eating literally everything, like (laughs) two pastas, two pizzas for dinner, why not? Yeah. Um, And so carefree, didn't have a worry in the world. And when I got home, I started to want to lose like the weight that I'd put on, nothing serious. I'd never gone to a gym in my life, like, I didn't exercise. I didn't like, I just wasn't, I danced, that was it. So um, I decided to go to a gym and I started training and yeah, I lost a bit of weight and then I got cast in Neighbours and I was like, I've just got a few more kilos I want to lose. And it's so weird because there wasn't a point where I went, oh, now I'm like more serious about it. It happened so organically that it went from, a really balanced, you know, eating healthfully, you know, eating good portion sizes to missing breakfast and then missing lunch. And then, you know, like it, I don't, I couldn't even explain to you how it happened because that year of my life, I always explain it as a blur. Like I don't remember it. It's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. And just were were you aware of the kind of thoughts that you were kind of telling yourself? Like, were you saying negative things to yourself about your body? I honestly don't remember. I think inevitably I must have been in a way telling myself that I wasn't small enough, that I needed to lose more weight. But it very quickly went 
from being about weight to being a control issue, which is what most people that's from eating disorders will tell you. Like, yes. Everyone, you know, thinks of that picture of the girl looking in the mirror and she's tiny, but she sees this fat girl. Mm. And that is never what happened to me. Like Mm. I could look in the mirror and I could see that I looked sick, but I would then get on a scale and if I'd put on 100 grams, I'd have a meltdown. So it became about numbers and about routine and about obsession rather than I didn't even care what I looked like. I didn't even look in the mirror anymore. I wore baggy clothes. Like it didn't matter what I looked like because I was hiding anyway. So it very quickly went from being, you know, I want to lose a bit of weight to being have to do the same thing every day. And that is very much my personality. I'm still like that. Like I follow a routine, a schedule. Everything's on a whiteboard. I have to tick it off. So now I'm aware and I'm a lot more careful about my life choices. But yeah, I think... It was very a, a very slippery slope and it happened so naturally that it's scary. Yeah, you got, almost kind of didn't realise it was happening as you were going through it, right? Mm. And, and then once you realise it's not normal, it's kind of too late. You don't know how to go back. You can't ever imagine having a normal relationship with food anymore or how it ever felt to just be chilled about going out for dinner. Like, yeah, that's insane. And so, you know, when you were working on Neighbours, because that was when when the brunt of it was going on pretty much, right, during that that period of time. And did, did it become this thing that you, I guess, started to talk about? Was it just that people started to notice and that's how it kind of came to be? And, and how did you feel when people would talk to you about that originally, like, you know, at the beginning? Well, I think it was definitely not a case of me talking about it. Um, I was very secretive about it. You know, the thing, I think a misconception about eating disorders or anorexia is that you don't eat. And if you didn't eat at all, I mean, you would die. Like it's, yeah. which people, you know, over time you you can, but day to day you do eat. It's just, you know, tiny portion sizes. So at work, I think people were really worried because physically I was shrinking, like, mm you know, I look back now and I'm like, my God, I look so sick, like just ridiculously ill. But when you see someone every day, I feel like, you know, the changes are smaller. So at the beginning, I think everyone was like, oh, she's just, you know, losing a bit of weight. And then I think some of the older cast members started to notice no one ever brought it up with me in the cast. I think they all went to, you know, the heads of department because they realized it probably wasn't their place to step in. And then the heads of department eventually called me in and they didn't jump to any conclusions. But unfortunately, for young actors or actresses specifically, it's not an uncommon thing. So I think they've definitely seen it before and they know the warning signs. And the same thing happened with my family. Both of my sisters, neither of them have had, you know, eating disorders, but both have had periods in their lives where they've been very focused on food. Uh, And I think it was became really clear to my parents. So I'm really lucky because I know a lot of people go through it and no one asks, no one notices, no one gives support. Um, I had a lot of support and I had a lot of people pushing me to get help and not pushing, you know, facilitating. Yeah, Yeah. because the second you push someone, you know, with an eating disorder, they go the opposite direction. The second, you know, you say, don't you want to look healthy? Like, absolutely not. That's not the aim of an eating disorder, which is madness when I think about it now. But at the time, the idea of being normal and healthy again was petrifying. So yeah, it wasn't so much a case of everyone talking about it and bringing it up with me because I think they knew I'd just be defensive. 
I wasn't really myself at that time. Like people who know me now, I would say they think I'm quite outgoing and bubbly and loud. And I just didn't talk apparently. Like, as I said, I don't remember that year, but I'm pretty sure everyone thought I was a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I just sat at my desk and I did my lines and I did my scenes and then I'd go home. Like I didn't make friends with anyone. So when I started to get better, I think everyone was like, oh, who are you? Like, this is not who we knew. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very lucky that I had support, but in a really um, gentle way. Mm. And that would have been just insanely also a... um pretty intense time because, you know, on the neighbor set, it's, it's fast turnaround. If people um, don't realize that, that uh, neighbors is unlike any other show um, in terms of filming, like you just back to back on like scenes get knocked out fast. You're doing a lot of um, filming in a day and then you're straight into rehearsal for your next block, you know? So for you to, to have, you know, kind of have this thing going on in your personal life and then also be on top of your work uh, and nailing scenes and whatnot, was that, how was that? I mean, was that easy for you to do or just like a distraction almost? I think at the time, I think eating disorders often thrive off of being busy and being, you know, having something to do all the time. It's another form of control is just go, go, go. And I think about it now when I'm like, I have no idea how I did that without food in my body. Like, as you said, the days are insane. At any one time, you're working on 12 episodes, you know, filming six, rehearsing another, like it's absolute madness. And you're working 6am till 6pm most days. And I think, as I said, you know, when people say, so what's your real job? I just want to be like, please come for a day on the set of Neighbours and ask me what my real job is. (laughs) I've never worked harder in my life than I did on that set. And, you know, not just filming, I would get up at 4am every day and go to gym for an hour and a half before filming so that, you know, in my head, I could burn all those calories that I wasn't even eating. Mm. So I look back now and I have no idea. But when I look at my work from that year, I'm never disappointed. I think in a way, because my character was going through a very similar thing to me, like I look exhausted on screen, but thank God my character was too. So it kind of, in a really horrible way it worked so once I started getting better um and you know I had all this energy and then my character also you know overcame her eating disorder and it's quite funny it kind of what is it like life imitates art I was just gonna say are you sure you weren't doing like method acting or some weird fucked up like method I really wish I was serious enough about acting to be a method actor but I'm like the chicken (laughs) acting class who's like I'm not going to pretend I'm holding a beer bottle. Just give me a, you know, a beer bottle. (laughs) I can guarantee I am not a method actor. But yeah, I mean, I'm proud of the work I did and I'm proud that I got through that and still managed to work those crazy hours and do what I did. But it certainly was a much more enjoyable job once I was healthy. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) And when was, you know, when was the moment where you realised, okay, uh, I need to stop doing this um, and maybe cultivate some, you know, self-love for myself and cut myself a bit of slack. Do you know what? I wish I had that moment, same as when it started. Mm. I wish there was that like wake up one morning, aha moment. And I try and I speak to a lot of girls who go through eating disorders because it's something I'm really passionate about. And they all say to me like, how did you get better? What happened? And I wish that I knew 
what it was. For months, I was seeing a psychologist. I was on a meal plan, but often didn't stick to it properly. I was cheating it. I was hiding. I, I wasn't ready to let go of it. And, you know, you have people around you and they say, how can I help you? How can I make you better? And the one thing I say about eating disorders is you cannot get better until you want to get better Mm. because there is two voices in your head 24-7 and it is exhausting. And there is always one voice saying, get better, eat that food. It's good for you. It's healthy. And the second you eat it and you feel proud for one moment and then the guilt kicks in and it's, you're going to put on weight. You're not, you know, you're not going to be special anymore. You failed. And for so long, I battled with the two. And I think honestly, if I look back at that time, I started dating someone. And I think that distraction and that finally feeling some sort of happiness and joy and feeling like, oh, someone could actually like me for me. And maybe I should try liking myself just a little it sort of started, you know, when you're in a beginning relationship, you just eat more. And I think that kind of happened and it in a way saved my life. And I started, once you start getting better and you start remembering what it feels like to be yourself again, it's the best feeling. And I remember one day for the first time in over a year, I had like a laughing, like a belly laugh. And I remember stopping and I started crying and everyone was like, are you okay? And I was like, I forgot what it was like to laugh. Mm. I forgot what it was like to think about anything except for calories and food and obsessing over it. And I finally like let go and let myself just be happy and be free. And it was like that moment sticks in my head. It was post already feeling better. So I don't know the exact moment that hit, but it was that moment that made me go, "It's this is worth it. It's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And recovery was even harder because the eating disorder becomes easy. It becomes comfortable. So getting better was the hardest thing I've ever done. But that moment made me go, oh my God, it's so worth it to feel like happy again. Yeah. So it sounds like it, it kind of is, a, it was like an organic road in there and an organic road out as well. Like sort of almost goes unnoticed in a way, but it just small steps, I suppose, right? To change, shift the behaviors. Baby, Baby steps. Yeah. That's amazing. And I I feel, you know, it's just so incredible that you can actually, you know, share your journey because it's one of those things that is, it's a very, um, you know, vulnerable thing to have gone through and, uh, and to be able for you to speak to that is, is really incredible now, because, you know, you do talk about it a lot on your socials. And I think a lot of uh, girls out there, women um, appreciate you speaking out about your experience, you know, because it is, it's one of those um, topics that I, I like to give a, a platform for conversation for it only because, um, you know, I had a couple of girlfriends growing up that went through bulimia and being the person outside of it, I just, I can never understand it not having gone through it, but I just want to understand it more, I think, because I find that it's something that, you know, you work with clients all the time. I work with clients all the time in the health and fitness space that it is just something that people, women especially, deal with. It's so common, uh, this relationship with food and your body. And I I think it's just something that we have to address and really like speak to and and, and gather information essentially, hear hear everyone's experiences so that we can, um, I guess, yeah, help help people not be in that state if if we can, you know. Um, So I really appreciate you speaking about that. 
Um, so is that, you know, what kind of led you into the fitness industry then? Because was it a crossover between this and that or how did that kind of come about? So I got into fitness sort of before I was sick. I started, as I said, when I got home from Europe, I started training and I was doing like, you know, Les Mills classes at the gym where we all start yeah. and I'm doing like body attack and body pump. And, you know, so I got really into it then. And then when I got sick and started recovering, I had to take a long time off exercise, obviously, in order to put on weight. And that was really hard as well, because that's a huge part of the disorder as well, is the obsession with exercising and doing the exact same every day and, you know, burning the same amount of calories. So I took over a year probably off exercise and I put on a lot of weight, which is, you know, necessary. Um, And a lot of weight almost to a point where I was, you know, quite a lot heavier than I'd ever been which happens a lot. Um, And so once I started really feeling like I was ready, I started getting back into exercise and I started to look at it in a new way. It wasn't just about losing weight and it wasn't just about looking a certain way. It became a therapy for me. And to this day, that's what it is. And that's why I wanted to get into the fitness world because I saw how it saved my life in a way and how it gave me the opportunity to be healthy and be fit and strong without, you know, shrinking myself. And nowadays, you know, I'm the first to admit that I still have obsessive, you know, tendencies and I exercise way too much. Like (laughs) I'm the first to admit it, but I love it. Like it is, it's my passion in life and watching what I do help others. I never thought I would have a job where, I felt like I was helping people because as much as acting is rewarding, you never, especially TV where you make something and then three months later they see it and then you might get a few messages. It doesn't feel like you're changing people's lives very often. Whereas, you know, I teach a class and already this morning I got a DM after saying like, thank you so much for getting me out of bed in the morning. I've always been too nervous to go to the gym and I've been too, you know, self-conscious and this is like my sixth day in a row coming to class. And for me, that is the most rewarding thing in the world. So it saved my life and I watch it, maybe not saving, but changing so many people's lives. And that's kind of how I got into it. And when I was um, finished Neighbours, I moved to LA for six months and um, I hated it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I hated it. Everybody comes off Neighbours, goes to LA and you hated it. What did you hate about it? it most people love it. LA is just not for me. I, I love New York. I love London. Um, LA was just, it just felt toxic to me. One of my friends says it's like a mirror. So if you go into LA not feeling amazing, like it's going to come right right back onto you. So it's nothing against the city, but it just wasn't for me. I just, I think it's, oh, I shouldn't say this, but like, it's just not a very pretty city. Like, you know what I mean? You go in thinking it's like Hollywood and you're like, why is everything gray? Um, <laughs> And the weather's always the same. I was like, I need rain. And everyone just like sits around waiting for a job because none of us had visas. And I was like, you know what? No. So I started doing a lot of exercising and I went to a soul cycle class and cycle house and I fell in love. Like instantly Uh, I was like. This is where I came from. Yeah. I was like this is what an exercise should be like. You're in a dark room and Beyonce's playing and you're sweating your ass off. And 
Like I just loved it. And when I came back to Melbourne, Bodie had just opened um, on my street, which is just like a bit of fate. Yeah. Um, and I started training there. And within a couple of months, they asked me if I wanted to become an instructor and they trained me up and the rest is history. The rest is history. You know what's really funny about that? Uh, one of my, actually one of my private clients um, would come to me and say, um, literally there's like two classes that I go to, your Pilates class and Ari's class at Bodian Ride. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so that was so funny. I'm like, oh yes, Ari's just a killer. <laughs> yeah, I'm known as like the the smiling assassin. I'm really nice outside of the spin room, but inside you don't want to, you don't want to. I don't want to mess with you. No way. Yeah. <laughs> So I really like how you brought up this whole connection between movement and uh, mental health because I feel like that's exactly the same reason why. Um, and same with the acting and all that kind of stuff. Like there is, you know, there's an element of, it's it's fulfilling to some degree, but definitely what we do now in the fitness industry, I feel like is so much more fulfilling because I feel like we give back to people. You can see uh, people coming into the studio and walking out just feeling completely different, you know, and for me, a lot of that is to do with movement and the connection to mental health and your mindset, um, your mental state. Um, so, you know, why why is it so important for you, uh, I guess, for yourself to exercise and have movement as part of your life? Like what specifically does it do for you in terms of your mental state, your mental health? So... I, as I mentioned, am very much a perfectionist. Um, I'm not OCD, like I don't throw that around, but I have very um, obsessive tendencies and everything in my life is very structured. So when I go into a class, although getting there is part of the structure, when I actually get to do it and turn off, it's pretty much the only time in my day when I can relax, which sounds ridiculous because if you come into my class, it doesn't exactly feel relaxing, but (laughs) I really can switch off. And that's something I've never been able to do. And I think that's what a lot of people get from yoga or Pilates. For me, I get it in high intensity, like that endorphin rush. There really is just no better feeling than, you know, getting that sweat on and you walk out the room and no matter how much you didn't want to be there when you started, you never regret it, like ever. And for me, it is that time to switch off and to almost, it's it's the saying that I got from um, M. Carey, who's um, this beautiful girl I follow on Instagram, who's had an incredible life and she's gone through a lot of trauma and she has this saying, if you can, you must. And for me, that is what exercise is. If you are able to move your body and if you are given that opportunity to let your body move and you know, function and grow stronger and fitter, you must do it. So many people would kill for that chance. And for me, for, you know, over a year, I wasn't allowed to do it. And I think that made me even more grateful for it because I realized that it wasn't just about, you know, burning calories and seeing what your Apple watch says at the end. It actually is about, you know, thanking your body and allowing it to do all of these incredible things that we are given the opportunity to do. So it sounds like a little bit wanky and a bit cliche, but it really... No, I like it. It's just a sense of gratitude for your body and and 
like you said, I think too, especially during this period of time, I know you guys in Brizzy don't have it as bad as us in Melbourne, but, um, you know, we only get an hour outside a day to move at the moment. And so, you know, all these things that we used to, I guess, take for granted going into the studio, doing a class, uh, you know, we, we don't have those freedoms right now. So there is this element of, yeah, just being thankful that we can actually move, you know, even to go outside for an hour. God, that's amazing, you know? Isn't it crazy how the the mindset changes from like, oh, I have to go to gym today to like what I would give to go to a gym today. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And it's all about perspective, right? Just that shift of perspective. Um, So you've spoken about just loving routine and habits, which I love to talk about. So I'm really curious to know what your typical day looks like in terms of your healthy habits. What do you what must you do every day to keep healthy? Okay, so uh, my day always starts with training. Um, I don't actually eat before I train, which is like a bit of a point of contention, but if I um, eat and train, I vomit. So it's not really an option for me. <laughs> That's how hard you I push yourself in the gym. <laughs> no, do you know what it is? Whether I push myself or not, like food in my stomach while I train is just not an option. Like I could eat and do a chilled yoga and I probably vomit <laughs> like it just doesn't work for me doesn't so compute. I does it d- depends on the day some mornings I teach really early which is not my favorite I'm like I like getting up early but like 5 a.m is just not my time that's still night time in my head yeah yeah so I teach generally the 9 a.m's here which is like perfect. Um, I'll teach a class. I come home and then I'll have like my first meal of the day and I am queen of the carbs. I'm vegan. So carbs are my best friend. So I usually have like two pieces of toast with avo and some um, veggie patties with some protein and some nutritional yeast. And then I spend my days kind of broken up. I teach mornings and nights generally. So my afternoon is like my free time. So uh, I'll be completely honest. I'm such a homebody. Like I'll usually get back into bed, watch a bit of TV, do a bit of Netflixing, watch YouTube. I'm a big YouTube fan. So I'll chill out for a bit. Um, my boyfriend's still studying from home. So we spend a bit of time together. Um, and then during the afternoon, I'll make like my second meal, which is usually some sort of big salad. And I'll make sure I'm very like, eat whatever I want, but I always try to make sure I have like three big meals a day and they always have carbs, protein, fats, like, you know, the general, what everyone knows you should do. So I have like a big salad with sweet potato and some like falafels and avo. And then I'll go and teach my afternoon classes. So I'll usually go do Orange Theory, which is, um, we have it in Melbourne as well. And likely it's in Brisbane too. And it's treadmill running, um, rowing, like row erg um, and floor work. So that's where I get more of my strength working on the floor because I love cardio. Like I will I run and jump. I tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can tell I love high intensity, um, <laughs> but it's so important to get in strength training as well. So that's like my way of getting it in. And then I'll go straight to Inspire. I'll teach my last class of the night. I'll come home, have a big shower after that much sweat in a day. And we'll usually, my boyfriend and I will have dinner together. Last night we made a red curry um, with some rice and then we get into bed and watch terrible reality television and go to sleep. Nice. It sounds like the perfect balance of a day. (laughs) I really like everyone's, you know, always like, oh, you must be exhausted. You train so much. I'm like, 
yeah, but when I'm not training, I'm doing nothing. Like I am not like work, like my job is training. So I don't come home and like spend hours doing admin. I make playlists and then I chill. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's full on too. I feel like when you're, uh, when you're teaching, like there's just a lot of um, energy that you exert anyway. So you, when you're in your downtime, I feel like, like you just said, you, you're recharging almost in a way because you just need so much energy to, to hold the space for the class. Absolutely. Like, uh, especially with spin, because we have to do the whole class. It's, it's not just the coaching, it's the, you know, actually working out while doing it. And people always laugh at me when I say this, but I'm actually a total introvert. Like, I need time alone. So after being in a room of 50 people for an hour, I'm like, I need like at least six hours on my <laughs> I know. I'm the same as you. I think that, I think a lot of people feel that's weird for actors as well. Cause I think the, the assumption is that like you're an extrovert, but you just need so much downtime, right? I <laughs> love being on my own. <laughs> Me too. So as an actor, I feel like we're mostly like accustomed to uh, being rejected. It's just kind of like part of the job. <laughs> Amen. Right? Like you kind of you have to cultivate this skill of not being affected by it because otherwise you just won't survive as an actor. Like if you got, if you felt it personally every time you got rejected, God, you'd just be on the floor all the time and be depressed all the time. Permanently depressed, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is something that I like to talk about in terms of failure and, and rejection because obviously not just in the acting space, but just in life in general, obviously you go through uh, things that happen in your life. And, you know, for me, I find that failure and rejection often um, bring about really good lessons, you know, life lessons. So um, I'm really curious to know what your biggest failure has been outside of acting. So aside from being rejected from a, a job and what you have learned from it. Oh, that is such a good question. I would say, I don't think I see it as a failure. I think I see it as a lesson, as you said, but I see almost failure as letting others down. Like my worst nightmare is, you know, ruining something for someone else or disappointing people. Like that is just to me, I can't cope. Um, so I do feel like, you know, my eating disorder was my biggest regret or my biggest flaw I've had because I learned so much from it, but it also put everyone around me through so much pain and stress and anxiety. And I'm very lucky in my life. I've had a really easy life. Like I'm so grateful. I've been brought up by incredible parents, by supportive sisters, friends. I've never had a bad relationship. Like I don't have many other things that had a huge impact on who I am in terms of a negative effect. Mm. But I think my eating disorder was the the biggest lesson I've had in my life because it's the most unhappy I've ever been. And it's, I almost feel like it, it was a waste of a year of my life. But looking back now, I know I would never be where I am now and never have the passions. And it makes me know what I want to do with my life now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's given yeah. me that perspective, as you said, and that that reason why, which for a long time I think I was lacking. And when I went through it and got out the other side of it, it made me go, I want to make sure no one feels this way like I did. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's probably my biggest failure. And in, I mean, acting, I've had poor. Gazillion. <laughs> Only 3,000 auditions I've been told no to. <laughs> Guys, if you you just have to understand, I think those, those of you who are listening, like, as an actor, you just get rejected so much. Like you almost walk into an audition 
going, I'm probably not going to get this, but let's just give it a crack. Like that's just, that's just kind of what you have to do, right? And when you have non-active friends and you're like, oh, I've got an audition and they go, oh my God, that's so exciting. And you're like, no, it's not. I'm not going to get it. (laughs) (laughs) If I hear back from an audition, I'm like, oh my God. That's amazing. What's my tape? (laughs) You actually watch the tape? Holy shit. (laughs) I'm convinced they're not even watched half of the time. I don't reckon they do. I don't reckon they do. I stopped sending tapes overseas because I was like, there is not a chance they are watching 10,000 tapes. I'm not doing it. And that's the worst. The worst thing about that too is like with the self tapes because they're all for American shows. You put so much effort and time into it because they're for, usually it's for, for some you know too. Like you get you get auditions for massive films, you know, big blockbuster films. You like put so much effort into it. And you're like, how? What are the chances of them actually watching this tape? And you put so much time and effort into it. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I believe in my abilities and all, but I can guarantee you there is at least 10,000 other brunette 26-year-olds who can do what I do that have a visa and a green card. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't need to go for an audition where you're going to give the job to Emma Watson. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't need to do it. It's a tough industry, guys. It's tough. <laughs> tough. I got one more question for you, Ari. So what is the greatest lesson that you could pass on to somebody? So if there was like one piece of advice perhaps that you think is the most important thing that you could ever pass on to somebody, what would that be? Uh, So a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of mine gave me a piece of advice or a quote, I should say, and it really stuck with me and I've said it to people since and everyone just seems to resonate with it because I think it's a very common thing. Um, And the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think it resonates because it's something that we all do. Whether we try to or not, we always look at someone and go, are they prettier than me? Are they skinnier than me? Are they more successful? Why do they already have, you know, bought a house, have kids? And why aren't I there yet? And as I grow up, you know, it doesn't go away. And I I catch myself doing it. And I think that's the difference now. For a really long time, I would let myself get down about why I wasn't at a certain place in my career or why I didn't look a certain way or, you know, people would say to me, do you compare yourself to your sisters? And I used to be like, no, should I? Like, they're my sisters. Like, I'm so happy for them. And I I came to learn that it's always going to be there, but it's about learning to go, all right, I'm not there. And that's absolutely okay because someone else could be looking at my career and my path and going, wow, I wish I was there. You you know, that whole the grass is always greener is... (laughs) For everyone, no matter who you are, there's always someone doing something that you wish you were. So I think that's something I've really learned that don't compare yourself to someone else because the second you do, you you rip yourself off. You you know cheat yourself of your own happiness because you're never going to be happy or successful when all you want is more and more and more. So you know always push for more and always be striving to get to the next level, but don't do it because someone else is do it because it's what feels right for you. I really love that. I think that's something that we all kind of struggle with in terms of um, comparing to other people, like, and especially now, like with social media, it's so prevalent. Like it's, it's um, yeah, it's about coming back to who we are, I guess. And and I think you've mentioned this on something that I watched of yours about just embracing who you are and loving all those quirky things about you and, 
just accepting the path that you're on basically and it's it's unique to you. So I really, really love that piece of advice. Absolutely. Now I just have to remind myself of that nearly every day. But yeah. we, I think we all we do. Learn. We all do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Ari. I really appreciate you coming on and chatting and also being so vulnerable and being able to share uh, your story, particularly around uh, your eating journey. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me and for giving me the opportunity to even discuss it. I Sometimes I like for a few months, I won't even talk about it. And then I'm like, no, I need to, I need to get onto that. I need to spread awareness. You are, you're doing an amazing job as well. So you guys, you can follow Ari on IG at Arielle Erin Kaplan. Uh, she's also up at Inspire Cycle in Brizzy. So go check her out and uh, drop in for a class. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and screenshot this episode, share it to your stories, tag Arielle, tag Rach Active, and uh, I will catch you on the next episode of the Rach Active Podcast. 